good evening, everyone. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, do you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12? Uh, it's page 1,210, uh, if you can get access to a pew Bible. And just as you're looking that up, and just as a kind of heads up, this is a kind of pre-sermon warning. What we're going to look at and think about tonight isn't an easy subject. It's not an easy issue. And although it's really, really important, like critically important, it can be very difficult to understand and accept at times, or at least to fully understand and to totally accept. And so uh, tonight's sermon might contain ideas and thoughts that some listeners may find upsetting or offensive. So that's a disclaimer out of the way. Uh, but before we just turn to this subject, two things, I want to do two things. The first is a recap, and the second is a uh, play a song. Two weeks ago, based on the th first three verses of chapter 12, we recognized once again, and this is a theme that comes up a lot in, in the scripture, that the Christian life is like a race. It's compared to a race. It's described as a race. And, and the writer of Hebrews encourages us to run it, to run the course that's been marked out for us in four ways. And so first of all, we are to run supported. He says, listen, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. There are many, many heroes of the faith, and in chapter 11 he's listed lots of them, but there are many, many heroes of the faith who have gone before us to encourage us and to inspire us, and we should learn from them, and we should be motivated by them. So we should run supported. Secondly, we run unhindered. There are things that weigh us down in this race. There are things that hold us back, and we need to offload them. And some of those things are not wrong, as we talked about. They're not wrong in and of themselves, but they restrict us, and we do need to ditch them. So say they're, they're not sin, necessarily. There's nothing wrong with them, per se, but they're holding us back. And so we, 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 need to, we need to get rid of them. And then there is, as he writes, there is the sin that still so easily entangles us, which we need to confess. So run supported, run unhindered, and then thirdly, run with endurance, because that is just what is required. This is not a sprint. You're in this for the long haul. And so we need to persevere, and you need to be prepared for perseverance. And then finally, run focused, run totally focused. We need to keep our eyes constantly fixed on Jesus, who is our source and who is the perfecter of our faith. So run and keep running. And so how, how have you run this week? How have you run this week? If you were here last week and we're thinking about this, how have you run this week or two weeks ago? Well, then we come to the next section, verses 4 to 11. And they kind of flow. I know there's a break in some of our translations, but they, they flow. And these next verses would have been a challenge to the first readers of this letter, but maybe they're an even greater challenge to us. Two millennia later, in our cultural context and in our time, I reckon these are even more challenging verses. And I'll explain why in a moment. But what about the song I want to play uh, in a moment? Well, the reason I want to play this track, which I'm sure most of us know or have heard before, it's by Chris Tomlin. The reason I want to play it is because although the main issue raised in these verses is discipline, and, and the word discipline appears like 10 times, at least 10 times in these eight verses. But although that is the case, at the heart of this text, and this is so important that I say this up front and we consider it, at the heart of this text is the fatherhood and the father heart of God. Our God is a good, good father. 
And I want us to remember that and to see that and to realize that before we dive into these verses, because I believe it's imperative that we do. And so I'm going to invite you to take a moment. This, this goes for about f- nearly almost five minutes, but anyway. I'm going to invite you to take a moment to just acknowledge the reality of our good Father. And we've been singing about tonight, Abba, Father, let me be, yours and yours alone. So take these moments before we dive into this text to just reflect on the fact that he is a good Father.
you are able to, can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's Word. This is Hebrews 12 from 4 to 11. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow them there. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Please take your seat. That line there, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. How how do you react to that? How do you process that? Does anyone recoil from it? Do you struggle with it, if you're honest? Maybe ignore it, avoid it, embrace it. It is an incredible statement. The idea that hardships and trials and turbulence in our lives are to be seen as discipline or as involving the Lord's discipline and as evidence that we belong to God and that we are His children, I reckon that doesn't always sit well with us. We live in a culture and at a time when the idea or the practice of parents disciplining their children, it's hotly debated. And what is allowed and, and what is legal 
has changed and is changing, and, and people have different opinions on it and different perspectives and different thoughts about it. And I'm not about to comment or get into the whole debate around smacking. But what I want us to recognize, and this is so important, is, is how the first readers of Hebrews thought about parental discipline and how they understood it and how we think about it and how our culture thinks about it is probably very different, radically different. And so we need to, right up front, as we come to God's Word and recognize the context and culture in which it was written, into, we need to recognize that, we need to admit that, and we need to take it into consideration as we engage with this, and as we, I quite honestly struggle with it, because I do. And before we, we go any further, let's be clear on this word, discipline. Because for most people, again, and we, we, when we did the series on spiritual disciplines, we made this point that the whole word immediately solicits a negative reaction and response. But the, oh, there we go. <laughs> Great. The word discipline uh, actually has come from the root word, and many of you will know this, the child, and refers to the training up of a child. That, that's what it means in this context here, the training up of a child, the education, the guiding, the correction of a son or a daughter. And right from the start, this is how we, we should and how we must think of God's discipline, that when we are faced with hardships and trials and turbulence in our lives, which will inevitably happen, and they will come in all kinds of forms, and which God allows to happen. And this is the bit. Now, God doesn't cause them to happen. God allows them to happen, that we need to understand them and view them as discipline as God's way of training us and teaching us and changing us. It's an opportunity. It's not a threat. It's a positive. It's not a negative. It's an act of love with a real purpose embedded in it. And that, that seems to be what the writer is saying here. As he says, listen, endure hardships as discipline because God's just treating you as his kids. For some people sitting here, this in many ways seems so unfair and so hard to get our heads around. When you are facing hardship and trials and turbulence in your life, to kind of see them from this perspective and from a God who's treating you as his child, in some ways it just doesn't make sense. So let's attempt to unpack these verses a little bit more. So the writer starts, or continues, but he starts in verse 4 that we read, and he refers to their struggle against sin. And I know I've made this point numerous times before, but as believers, we still have to confront and wrestle with sin in our lives. Now, I know because of Jesus and because of his, and we've been thinking about this as we've gone through this letter, because of his once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, that means that we if we have accepted Jesus into our lives and accepted what he has done for us on the cross, then we are no longer slaves to sin. It no longer defines us. It no longer controls us. It no longer determines our future, but we still struggle with it. And so sin still entices. It still teases. It still attempts us, and it still entangles us to pick up what he's already been saying in the first few three verses. Sin still entangles Christians, which is why we've got to get rid of it on an ongoing basis and a continual basis and a constant basis. But part of the sin 
that these Hebrew Christians were struggling with was the temptation to avoid persecution and to abandon and pack in their faith, which was ultimately a temptation to submit to sin. And again, if you've been following the series, you know this was a live issue. This was a core reason why the writer wrote to them in the first place. These first century Rome-based Christian believers were enduring hardships, all kinds of hardships, all kinds of persecution. They were up against it. They were being pulled in all kinds of different directions. They were in danger of drifting away. But look at what the writer says next. He says, in your struggle against sin. So you're struggling with this. And we do. He says, yeah, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he says, listen, you've had it rough but not as rough as some others. You haven't been persecuted to the point of shedding your blood. None of you have become martyrs. But there's two words in there that would have hit home hard. That would have caused a deep intake of breath, and they're those two words, not yet. In other words, this is still possible. This still could happen. And without getting too melodramatic, it still could because the persecution of Christians to this level where their blood is spilt, it still exists today. And the question I've been asking myself all week as I've engaged with this is, am I prepared for that? Am I prepared for that? In my struggle and the stuff I'm going through, I'm got the point where I've shed blood. But as the writer writes to these Christians, he says, not yet. Not yet, you haven't. But the writer then, as he goes on and continues speaking into their lives, he introduces and offers a whole other perspective on this struggle and on these hardships and on these trials. Because he starts by talking about them as discipline. And as the Lord's discipline. And so what does he do? He quotes from some of the wisdom literature found in the Old Testament from the book of Proverbs. And again, what's really important for us to realize is these first readers, these first recipients of this letter, Jewish, from a Jewish background, they would have really, really been familiar with Old Testament wisdom literature. They would have known Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12, where Solomon, if that is who it was, wrote, where Solomon was warning his son not to make light of the Lord's discipline. And as he recalls and he refers to this wisdom, he's making the point that they need to see their hardships and their trials that they are going through, their turbulence and the difficulties as part of God's training and correcting and teaching and educating them as children. And more than that, they need to realize that this discipline, and again, this is where I, I, we need to realize that it's a sign of God's love for them. It's a sign of their sonship. It proves that they belong to God, they belong to the family of God, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And that was, that was the wisdom of Scripture. But the thing is, these believers had forgotten that. They had lost sight of it. So, so look at the beginning of verse 5. Whereas he's about to remind them, where he's about to quote Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, he says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And then he goes on to quote proverbial wisdom. 
And I suppose the challenge then, I've been asking myself this week, have I forgotten this? Is this why I struggle so much with this issue? That when I'm going through stuff, and and, and I, I really do not want to be specific tonight or offer examples of the kind of things that people are going through because that is incredibly dangerous, I believe. But when you're facing a situation that you don't like, you don't want, that isn't good, that's causing you pain and anxiety and confusion, those hardships, those trials and turbulence, and which God has allowed to happen, have we forgotten? Or maybe we've just never considered it like this before, that we are to endure them as discipline. And that's hard. It's hard for me to say that. Knowing what some of you are going through, and I've been going through for a long time. It's for our training. It's for our education. It's for our development as God's children. Now, before we go any further, I want to be incredibly careful that we do not confuse discipline and punishment. God does not punish his children. Sometimes you will hear Christians who are going through difficult times saying, God is punishing me. He's not. He may be disciplining you, but that's entirely different. In terms of punishment, the cross has said it all. Discipline is not punishment. God does not punish his kids. He loves them. And we also need to be careful about the subtle difference between discipline and consequences because, again, I think we get mixed up in this. Do you know there are situations that happen in our lives that are the, the direct result of our bad choices, of our poor decisions, of our sinful action and our reactions, and what we need to do with those events and those things is we need to repent of them immediately. We need to seek forgiveness and then move on. We cannot point to the fallout from our sin as the Lord's discipline. That kind of debris in our lives is caused by us. It is brought on ourselves by ourselves. Some of the choices that we make lead to incredible consequences. We cannot say, well, that's God disciplining me. There's a subtle difference there. We need to seek We need to turn away from our sin. If that is what we have committed, we need to turn away from our sin. We need to turn to God. And we then need to seek his ongoing discipline as he takes us forward in training and educating and correcting. Well, back to the text, because it is so important that we grasp this fact that discipline, the Lord's discipline, is evidence that we belong to God, that we are loved by God. Because that was the teaching and the perspective of Proverbs. That is wisdom teaching. And that was what was refreshed and replayed and re-emphasized by the writer of Hebrews. Because he says, do you know something? We've forgotten this. And so when you're up against it, you're tempted to just abandon your faith and pack it in. And you need to understand. You need to endure this as discipline because God's treating you as one of his children and he loves you, and he wants what's best for you, and he knows what's best for you, even though at times we just do not understand this. And a true father, and this is what is said, a true father, a good father, a loving father, of course, if they really are a good father and a true father and a loving father, 
they will discipline their kids because they want what's best for them. And on the flip side, look at verse 8. A lack of discipline seriously calls into question the nature of a father-child relationship. And so the things that these Christians are going through have got to be seen in this light. Endure hardship as discipline. Because God is simply treating you as his kid and as a loving father. But there's more to this because in verses 9 to 11, we discover that discipline, the Lord's discipline, has got specific objectives, important objectives. And therefore, although they're not pleasant, and, and the writer here is very honest about this, they're not pleasant. Discipline never is. In fact, he even says it's painful at the time. But it's got a purpose. It's got a reason. And there are at least four mentioned here. And the first is, he says, you know, the purpose is you will live. Look at verse, end of verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. And I know, again, I've, I've got to be really careful because I, I know this may not be our story. And as I say, culture has changed. And that may not be your story. And therefore, immediately, the minute you read that, we've all had human fathers who have disciplined us and we respect them for them. And, and, and that's not the case for some of you. And therefore, you immediately check out at this point. And I understand that and recognize that. But please hear me as I say, this is him writing into a particular context and time. But then he says, how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live true life, real life, fulfilled life, ultimate life is found in submitting to the Father's discipline. And then secondly, as he continues this thought, he says, it's, it's for our good. Verse 10 explicitly says that God disciplines us for our good. It's a bit like, in fact, it's a lot like Paul's comments in Romans 8, 28, which are such familiar words. And we know that in all things, not all things are good, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And as I say, not all things are good. Hardships are not good. The trials that we face are not good. But if we endure them as discipline, they can be for our good. And so even in difficult and messy and hard situations, somehow God is working things out for our good. And I, I know I've said it before, I, I, I find this verse so difficult to teach on and to speak about. I, I get the theory at times, but I, I struggle with the practice and what it really looks like because even in those messy situations, even in those difficult situations, those painful situations that so many people are going through, there's something about God is working them out for our good and to sharpen us and to shape us and to refine us, and to renew us, and to teach us, and to transform us. And then he continues, and he says, not only this, although this is the third point, although maybe it's part B of the second purpose, he says, God disciplines us for our good. And then he makes this incredible statement, in order that we may share in God's holiness. This is the pathway to holiness. Elsewhere in Scripture, we are encouraged, we are urged, and I know it's a huge thing that the, the writer of, of Luke's Gospel in particular says, he said, listen, and First Peter, I urge you to be holy just as the one who has called you is holy. 
Be holy just as your Father is holy. And it seems to be from the teaching here that embracing the Lord's discipline, when you endure hardships as discipline, you are in that place where you share. You share. That's what he says. You're not just being holy like God. You share in God's holiness. So the purposes of discipline, to live for our good, to share in God's holiness, and finally, to produce fruit. Look at verse 11. He says, those who have been trained at the end of it, those who have been trained by discipline, and by the way, I do, as I've already drawn attention, look at the first part of this verse, discipline at the time, he says, it's never nice, it's painful, which is honest. But the purpose, the outcome, what's the outcome of it? What's the purpose of it? What's the reason behind it? What is God doing in terms of our good? It's for the production of a harvest of righteousness. Or in a different version, or it yields the peaceful fruit of right living. This is what it leads to. It leads to growth. It leads to maturity. It leads to flourishing. And so here are four explicit and life-altering purposes to live for our good, for holiness to produce fruit. And so there's a bring us to a close. The question I ask is, what are you going through at the moment? What are the hardships that you're facing, that you're wrestling with? Because what God's Word says is, endure them as discipline. Because God is treating you as one of His children. He loves you. And He understands what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. And even though at times, and in the pain of the time, we do not understand it, and it is not pleasant. He says, you need to hang in there. Hang in there. Because you'll live, you really will. It's for your good. And you'll share in God's holiness. And you'll produce a life of fruit. And so God is a good Father who loves you and wants to train you and guide you and redirect you. And the question I've been asking myself all week is, have I forgotten this? Or is it just too hard? Just too unpleasant? Too difficult to accept? And I don't have easy answers to those honest questions. I don't have a simple explanation to offer about the Lord's discipline. I just know, based on God's word, that it exists and it's evidence that we're loved by him and that we belong to him. And so I'm going to trust him because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are high above.